Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Like, your husband's drama is not optional to you. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. You are such a sweetheart. I just can't imagine why your cousin says the things she says about you. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Kids don't have a lot of follow-up questions. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Oh, I love your place. It's so cozy. Our place is, of course, so much bigger, which makes it so hard to clean. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And today we're talking about making it work with extended family. And you and I know from extended family. I was just going to say, in fact, I almost texted you before because I was like, you probably need some time to calculate because I sat and did my calculation. Do you know how many first cousins are in your family? Oh, yes. It's very easy for me to say I am the first of 25 first cousins. I don't even know where I fall in the ranking, but I am the like high, I'm probably around the middle of 24. You've got me beat. And my children are- That's both sides of the family. No, no, no. That's just my mother's. That's only one side. See, no, I'm 24 total. Yeah, I'm 25 and like on the other side of my family, my dad's side, I mean like 80 second cousins, I mean countless. As the cousins get older, now it's like that's 25 plus spouses 50 plus they've all had, you know, two or three kids. It's just, oh my gosh. As Grandpa Billy Mac used to say, we've been begetting and begetting. I was at a, um, a family wedding this summer, one of my many first cousins getting married. So fun. And like those, I look forward to those for the year and a half after you get to save the date, right? And one of my other many cousins said, well, when I, if and when I get married, it's going to be a very small wedding. And I said, dude, like, look around you. It's, I mean, you can not invite any of your cousins, but if you invite us, it's 60 people before you invite one single friend. For sure. I think my wedding guest list was like at 95 before I left family members. <laughs> for anybody that you weren't related to. And my own kids. My own kids are, we have number 16 on the way in my family, my brothers and sisters, because I also have a big immediate family. And on the other side, they have six cousins. Again, they have like 25 first cousins, but on the two sides. And it has always been a pretty big part of their childhood for my kids to have cousins their age. They don't see them all the time, but we do make it a priority. We vacation together. We Thanksgiving and Christmas together. And it really matters. Yes. Well, my family cousin group on my side is older cousins. So my brother and I are two years apart, but we had our kids, I don't know, like 
13 years apart or something. We had, he started very, very young and I, shall we say, did not. And so we have grown cousins and littles, which is really fun. Like my kids love hanging out with their big kid cousins. So my brother's kids, 20s. Then on my husband's side, we still have a two-year-old. And so, and that's probably the last cousin. I think we're done with the cousin reproductive services out here. That's funny because in my family, it's my kids are the bigger cousins and they have, yeah, we have a three-year-old in my family, a baby on the way because I'm the oldest, right? I have a brother who's almost two decades younger than me. So he's he's just getting started with the babies. Uh, it's, yeah. I hope, right? I'm like, bring them, like have 20. I, I love nieces and nephews. Yeah, yeah. It's really, aunt is such a great job. I was an aunt for, I'm trying to remember what the difference between the kids are, I guess, probably about 12 years. So I was probably an aunt for 12 or 13 years before I ever had kids of my own. And let me tell you, aunt is the gig. That is a sweet spot. All the playing, all the family love, none of the responsibility. I was going to say, well, we could just, you know, brag for 45 minutes about how awesome our big families and all our uh, nieces and nephews and, and cousins are. That would be an entertaining episode. I'm sure people would love to listen to it, but that's not what we're here for. To how great it is. Not just our personal experience, but, you know, extended family looms large for better and worse, I suppose, sometimes. We're going to start with a definition. Okay. Extended families are simply a family unit that extends beyond past the nuclear family to include other relatives such as aunts, uncles, and grandparents. Okay. From love to know.com, an extended family can also be called a complex family, joint family, or multi-generational family. In most cultures, the core of the family is the nuclear family, parents and children, while additional relatives are considered extended. I will say that extended family also seems very much to be a euphemism for in-laws. So like, that's not really what we're talking about specifically that like people will be like, oh, my extended family can be difficult. That means they're talking about their mother-in-law basically. Like it's because really there are as a married person, two sides of extended family. So we're talking about extended family being our extended past our own nuclear family of births. So like our cousins, etc. Extended family, your husband also has an extended family. And some people consider anyone in your husband's family, your extended family. Yeah, it's funny because I do, we spend you know, a fair amount of time, like I was saying, with both of our extended families, and they do behave differently. They're culturally differently. It's different people. That's a Venn diagram that doesn't totally cross, even though, funnily enough, we're from the same hometown. It isn't like this great aunt and that great uncle like know each other. Like they say hi to each other in the grocery store, but they don't socialize. But when we socialize with both sides, we enjoy doing it with both sides. There's a very different sort of level of closeness and showing up for the birthday party and being up to speed on what the extended family is up to. A greater sort of expectation of that on one side than on the other, which I think can sometimes be a little... A lot to navigate when you're not used to it and you don't understand the rules of the new extended family that you are now part of. This is, I was just making a list for myself, not research-based, of sources of conflict that happen within extended families. All right. Walk me through it. Different expectations about time that's going to be spent together. Different traditions, families of different origins, different ways of raising kids, political differences, 
economic differences. I mean, I could go on and on. Okay. But let me light up your neural pathways for a moment, Amy, with some statistics, because I think this is really interesting. This is, I think, extended family, certainly in my mother grew up in a two-family household in the Bronx. So she lived on, I don't remember which floor was which. She lived on the top floor, let's say, with her mother and father, sister and brother. And then the other part of the house was her mother's sister, that person's husband, and their kids. So they grew up together. I think, especially for, you know, immigrant families, this is much more traditional, is that people live together. But then as the generations go things change and people separate more and more. And they don't tend to live in such close proximity to their extended family. Yes. Let me give you some statistics, Amy. Over 55% of US adults say they live within an hour's drive of at least some of their extended family members. So does that prove that we're moving further apart or that we're still kind of staying close together? Because to me, within an hour sounds close, but it isn't next door. But it's only 55%. That surprises me. Do you live within an hour's drive of an extended family member? I do. My sister. My sister lives like 20 minutes away. Right. But that's it. Everybody else is more than an hour away. But beyond that is more than an hour away. Yeah. So when I lived in LA, forget like the sister who lives near you, because like take that out of the equation, because I feel like if your family is like ours, you can always get one. But (laughs) my sister and I lived together in LA together, actually, sometimes, but even just like in the city at the same time. But we were 3,500 miles away from pretty much our next extended family member. And I think that that separation is something that's kind of new. Equal shares of Americans say they live near all or most of their extended family, 28%, or near some extended family, 27%. So that's just breaking down the 55. So again, that's half saying they live near all or most or some, almost or some extended family have to and then half don't. Right. It's like what the expression is the family seat. That's like one of those phrases that I say a lot, but I don't know what the word is. Is it? <laughs> I never said that word. Do you know the expression the family seat? No, no, edify me. Like the homeland? Amy, the family seat, sometimes just called seat, is the principal residence of the landed gentry or aristocracy. I call it the seat. I didn't know what you meant when you said family seat. I just call that the seat. Yeah. You just call it the seat. The residence usually denotes the social, economic, political, or historic connection of the family within a given area. So like this is something that like Richie is used to say back in the day, like, where is your family seat? That would mean like... And it was East Egg? Well, your family seat, like when your family came from... It's oldie timey, but it's something that we say jokingly, like our family seat is in Nyack, you know? It's like, it's very... We use it jokingly. But our family settled in New York when they came from Ireland, I mean, one side in the Brooklyn and one side in the Bronx. My mom's family was in the Bronx and my dad's family was all in Brooklyn. Now, then we settled out of the city in one side of the Hudson River and the other side of the Hudson River. And so I think that like, yeah, now people are 
all over the place in the family. But like the family seat is like the idea of like if you your family seat, you would say is Scranton, Pennsylvania, right? Like that's where the, your family's from. It remains Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yes, I have a funny story about that. So yes, my... I don't believe you're allowed to use the word seat if you're from Scranton, Pennsylvania. But yes, you get my overall drift. Our homestead. Yeah, both my husband and I are from Scranton, Pennsylvania, home of the office. And we went to, I'm mostly Irish. My husband's like a third to half Italian. And last summer we went on an extended family trip. Speaking of making it work with extended family, we went on a group of 13 people, some of my extended family and some of my husband's extended family all together. We went to Sicily and we went to the town where his great grandfather was born. This tiny town called Caltabolota. We met one of his cousins. We, so his mom, you know, this his mom's grandfather was born. I mean, this remote mountain town that you could only get to like by donkey when he would have been born. Incredible experience. Tiny little town nobody's ever heard of. Da, da, da. Come home to Scranton, my parents, my husband's parents, and they're, you know, at the grocery store, whatever, telling people about their trip. And we went to this tiny town where, you know, this person was from, and it was called Caltabolota. And then everybody they were meeting in Scranton was like, wait, I think my ancestors are from Caltabolota. Well, come to find out in a couple of months after we got home that if you're from Scranton and you're Italian, your forebears are probably from this tiny Sicilian town called Caltabolota. They all went to Scranton. And then they, what's kind of, you know, sad about it is, of course, like, and then as soon as you get there, it's like, everybody stop talking about Caltabolota. Like, this is Scranton. We're making a new life for ourselves. Right. We live in Pennsylvania now. Right. Like, Ixne and the Altabolota K. And so we're all like rediscovering, like, wait, like the dentist is also from this tiny town? Yes. Because it was the family seat for Caltabolota. Family seat. Or the, right, like that traditional ethnic neighborhoods across the United States are exactly that way. Like one guy from Caltabolota goes to Scranton and it's like, send for Nana, send for the sisters. And then like, oh, wait, if you want to go to the U.S., there's friendly faces. You'll find them in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And that's where they stay. That they used to say on TV, you've got a friend in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And you do. You have lots, guys. <laughs> oh, it's especially if you're from, is it Cota Belota? That's what I keep saying. Calta Belota. Colta, like a baby horse? Oh, Calta Belota. Yeah. Yes. I have more statistics for you, Amy. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? Say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It 
adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no-net carbs, zero-gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. So we're going to talk about the conflicts that are inherent in extended families, so we don't want to do too many more statistics, but I do want to say, because I thought this was really interesting, People with the highest education levels are least likely to live close to extended family. And obviously, people with the highest income level are also less likely to live close to extended family. Because income means choices and going away to college, right? And Adults living in rural communities are more likely than those in urban or suburban communities to live at least near some extended family. Of course, like you think of like the small town, like we're all here together. Mm -hmm. And then like cousin Richard went off to college, but like everyone else is here. Whereas in urban areas, it's like, okay, we're going, we're here from somewhere else. I used to live in L.A., And now it's a generation away from this, but there used to be an expression, no one's from LA, right? You could say to anybody, where are you from in LA? Oh, I'm from Seattle. I'm from Florida. I'm from New York. Like people came to California to seek their fortunes, but no one's actually from there, you know? Right. And that's changing now. That's true in the Upper West Side too. I mean, I live in New York City and everybody here is just passing through. Somewhere else. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Started somewhere else, going to finish up somewhere else. Or they grew up a block away. I'm going to contradict myself. But yes, I also know people who like grew up on 23rd Street. Now they live on 25th Street. It's in some ways the most villagey place of all. Yeah. And so this is where we get into as we deal with extended family. Well, first of all, some people don't really deal with their extended family. So for some people, this is just their in-laws or their marital family. But These are the sources of tension. Like when people live different places and have different experiences and are from really different socioeconomic standards, generally your nuclear family, I mean, mom and dad make a certain income. They pass that on or share it with the kids when the kids are young. And then generally the idea is that the kids do as well as better or better than the parents. You know, like there is a single economic and social reality to a nuclear family. Yeah. Although people would say, well, that's changing. Like there are statistics saying now for the first time, people worry that their kids won't do as well as they did. I saw some interesting thing recently about how Homer Simpson, that, that Homer Simpson could have the house they have on the street they have working in a factory, you know, is the most unlikely thing in the entire cartoon. Right, right. But it was true back then, right, back then, and then land of the fictional land of the Simpsons. I think that's less true. Yeah. That's getting us off what we're saying. It just means that I think the idea that you pretty much do what your parents did and you live nearby and your life is kind of like them, that's less and less true. That's right. 
And I think the socioeconomic realities for any given like family of six, and this is kind of a little bit tied into what you're saying, is like you can have six kids and one of them goes to work on Wall Street and becomes a billionaire. And like two of them are teachers in a small town. And one of them does like kind of okay in their plumbing business. And one of them has like really bad economic strife, right? Like the connections can get pretty frayed. Like if you look at most families, people are doing really different. You know, there's no, what's the word? Like commonality across an extended family. And so that makes for conflicts resentments, bad feelings. You also have what you're dealing with, which is interesting in your own family and in your spouse's family, a whole historical family structure with whatever was going on that you don't even understand, right? Like, oh, great grandpa left great grandma for another lady and they have this other kid who's not really recognized. And you're like, what the heck? Like, I can barely untie what's going on in my own life. And like, There's drama and trauma in the other generations that like, and it's interesting, we talked about on our grudges episode, and I think it really applies in extended families. Like sometimes there's bad blood and you're like, we just know there's bad blood. We don't even remember the origin incident here. We just know we're not allowed to talk to like cousin Susan for whatever reason. I mean, it's complicated. It can be very complicated, but there is something about the uncomplicatedness of the relationships. I guess I'm just talking about like my siblings or the way I see my kids interact with their first cousins on both sides. There's just a shorthand and you cannot see each other cousins for six months, a year, you know, three months, whatever it is. And I feel like they just fall right back into it and they maybe like minorly squabble like siblings do, but there's just not as much stuff to fight about. And they just sort of, it's like siblings without the baggage, almost cousins. It's siblings without the baggage and it's friends with the ties. Like I was just talking to somebody who was having friend drama between kids. And it's funny because my kids have same age cousins who we spent a tremendous amount of time with who live here. And it's like they can really fight with each other, but they can't not be together. It's like a sibling. The bond is like a sibling, but the conflict is less. You know, it's like you have your own family. It's a great, I think cousins is such a great relationship. I was just with my girl cousins this way. I I love cousins and my kids have fantastic cousins and it it really is a special relationship, cousins. You don't have to, when I see my kids, like there's a relaxation into it, right? They don't have to sort of show up and be like, I'm the kid who's really good at kickball. I'm the kid who like jokes all day, right? They're not like sort of, they're not sort of trying on a personality. You can't get away with that when this person has known you your whole life. You can't keep it up. It's too much time. You can't keep it up. It's too much time and they wouldn't believe it anyway. And so I just see this unguardedness that my kids have with their cousins that they probably don't get to have at school. I think that's right. And another thing that always interests me as my own family has evolved over, you know, now 14, 15 years, however long I've had kids, is that kids, when you say someone's family, and this may just be our tradition, but I feel like kids don't have a lot of follow-up questions. You know what I mean? There's been breakups and makeups and there's, you know, we have different steps in the family and some sort of complicated historical relationships between 
divorces and remarriages and whatever happens to have happened in whatever segment of the family. But if I point to somebody and say to my kid, like, that's your cousin, Greg, they're like, yo, Greg. And like, they're in, you know what I mean? Like, they're not like, how did I get a cousin Greg? What, what is the origin of this person? Like, how does this person fit into the... They're just like no follow-up questions. I'm like, this person is your Aunt Jane. And they're like, all right, let's do it, Aunt Jane. They're just... And that's kind of a magical thing about kids because I do think as we get older, the conflicts, the separations, divorces, fights, whatever happens within our own extended families, I think it's been very magical for me to see how much my kids are ignorant to that. And thinking back about myself as an adult, you know, we would get filled in on like, well, actually, so-and-so had this and this happened. And that's why we didn't see that. And I'm like, oh, we were not. And this is... Right. You can be 40 and still learning that stuff. (laughs) I think that's a really good touchstone is like the drama in a family is generally optional. And the farther out in the extension it goes, the more optional it becomes. Yes. Like your husband's drama is not optional to you, but your second cousin Sally's drama is completely opt-in, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was saying it on a podcast recently, but I think about it all the time that my mother would often say that people in conflict don't feel secure enough in their closeness. And that's a reason why people have conflict because being in conflict is closer than just being like around each other with no tie at all. It's bonding, right? It's negative attention, but it's attention. It's bonding, right? It's bond. Like conflict bonds you to other people. And I think as families start to extend, sometimes there is this need for like conflict and gossip and and this is what's going on with them and don't you think she saw this and whatever starts creeping in and that is a substitute for closeness and keeping that in mind has been helpful for me in terms of like we can be close without this we have friends good friends in new york city they're south american our kids have grown up together and they will introduce if they're if we're meeting some of their friends they'll explain that our kids are their kids' primos, primos or primas. And I, you know, finally like looked up what it meant and it meant cousin. And I said to them, like, oh, that's so interesting to you introducing them as like their cousins. And they said, well, like for us, it is. It's like cousins. They are friends. They're, it's more than friends. And then it's just a sort of thing you say when, when it's sort of lifelong friends. And I love that. And I think that, you know, chosen family and the kids who are like cousins to your kids, if you are one of those half of people who lives nowhere near your extended family, who doesn't have extended family, who has an extremely complicated relationship with your extended family, which means you have to distance. I don't want to leave that out of the conversation. Like that means all this fun stuff is not available to you. Like, you know, maybe it is. You just have to look a little harder. Right. That either that can be chosen family. And also as you get into extended family, you can choose your family within the family too. I mean, if you have... 40 cousins. And I do think that like family is a very specific kind of bond and that I have that feeling of like if I go somewhere, like you say, you go to the small town in Italy, it's like this is a cousin. Like that means something that you're family and that those kind of bonds can be really like helpful and strong. And it could be that your cousin is your chosen family, or it could be that your cousin is like, yeah, we're going to skip that cousin. That doesn't actually work for us in our current. (laughs) What's the line for the cable guy? 
oldie Luxler. <laughs> Back in my day. The great Jim Carrey tries to befriend Matthew Broderick. And at some point, Matthew Broderick is just trying to get out of their relationship. And he's like, I think I just have enough friends right now. And it's like, yeah, you might have enough cousins right now. You might be you all might have enough cousins. set. And I think that that's the layers. Everything is better when you hold it less tightly. And extended family is so that way. Like in any family, in-laws and your husband's family and your wife's family. It's just like, if it's too much, it's too much. But a little sprinkling can be magical. And when the stuff hits the fan, right? Like we had, I'm not going to give any details because it's not mine to tell, but we had a true crisis in our extended family within the last year. And, you know, some of the first phone calls were made to these extended family members that don't live next door, who we see at Thanksgiving, right? And the people who immediately dropped everything to be of service, to go and help, to take care of the kids, whatever, were were these extended family members. And I just... I thought there was something in that too. Like you want those people who, when you call them, they're going to come and it doesn't matter. And we're not going to ask questions. We're not going to worry about who paid for what. And we just do. And that's what family does. That's what a good extended family does. That's right. This is what family does. This is what a good extended family does. And I think that, yeah, it's not everybody, but we similarly had somebody who got very, very sick from COVID in a somewhat remote area. And it turned out that my, gosh, like sister's husband's brother-in-law was a pulmonologist living in a completely different part of the country. And we like built the chain between those people by stepping on a million different like little family rocks. And I think that that's right. Like the benefit of extended family can be so exponential in times of crisis. And I am from a big, crazy family, as is my husband. And the people are crazy and everybody makes each other crazy. But when it gets real, I will say, like, if you ever have to raise the flag for help in our family, I could have 100 people in my driveway in, you know, a day. And that there's something very, very magical about that. Yeah, there sure is. Okay, more on and families after this. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. 
Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. And now, the people in your extended family. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. The one upper sister-in-law. Oh, I love your place. It's so cozy. Our place is, of course, so much bigger, which makes it so hard to clean. The guilt-tripping mother-in-law. It's so nice to see you, because we hardly ever see you. And even when we do see you, I just think how you're going to leave soon, and then we won't see you until we see you again. And who knows when that will be? The nervous hoverer cousin. Is the baby okay? The baby looks cold. Shut the door. That air is blowing on the baby. I think she needs a hat. Oh my, she's yawning. Is that normal? Keep your voices down. There's a baby in here. The father-in-law with political views. Let me tell you a thing or two about climate change, missy. The distant relation with an MLM business. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad to see you. I have an amazing business opportunity and I've been looking for just the right person to join my downline. And I think it might be you. The sports-obsessed brother-in-law. Good arm and your kid. What's he pitching this year? I could have gone on the majors, but my hammy gave out. Come on, kid, throw it over here. Let me show you what a real pitcher looks like. The Olympic-level pot-stirring aunt. You are such a sweetheart. I just can't imagine why your cousin says the things she says about you. This has been The People in Your Extended Family. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. One important benefit of extended family if you have it, is childcare. Like in both my parents and my spouse's parents are caregivers for the younger cousins on the two sides of our family. In one case, full-time, like the full-time caregivers are the grandparents. And in the other case, like one or two days a week, but you also know, again, like somebody breaks a leg, like you have that caregiving possibility available to you. Huge. It's so huge. And it's so nice for the grandparents. And totally undervalued uh, or appreciated, I think, in general, until you don't have it. We moved back. I raised my kids in LA, and then I moved back to New York, where my extended family was. And it, there is just a safety in, listen, you can build this community if you do not have extended family. My sister is in a kind of travel hellscape right now, where she went to a wedding, and her flight has been canceled 
two days coming back. Small airport. Yesterday, they flew, I think she's like Minnesota. They flew from Minnesota back to New York, circled the New York airport. There were storms. They were running out of gas. They flew back to Minnesota. Oh my God, which is not close. I mean, that's hours. No, she did like the whole trip. I mean, nightmare. And, you know, I was on the phone with her and I'm like, well, I'll go. She lives down in Brooklyn. I'll go and watch the kids for the night. Turns out her neighbor's around. He's going to come. All fine. It all worked out. But I do think as we start to talk about as things go wrong, I was just overhearing a conversation among family members somewhere. And they were like, we're looking for somewhere to live. And they were probably in their 60s, maybe. And somebody was saying, like, really think about moving away from your kids, moving into an area where you're all by yourselves as older people. Because being alone and needing help is the hardest. Because most people are willing to watch a five-year-old. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, I wouldn't leave your kid alone, you know, but that to, as you get older, the need for like help is very serious. And it's not really like trading favors. Like if your other friends are old, they can't really help you out. And you don't have a lot of like 35-year-old strong friends who can pick you up if you fall down on the floor, you know, like, and I thought like, it's interesting. The problem with And I mean, I think this is a huge overall issue in society that like people are leaving their family groups. But then when it comes down to child care and elder care and long term health care for crises, that is the kind of stuff that only your family will do for you unless you're able to come up with money to do it. Right. I thought you were saying that somebody was encouraging older people to move away from their kids. You're saying the opposite of it. I am saying the opposite. There may be people who want to move away from their children. My parents may want to move away from me. But I do think when it comes down to, you know, as you start seeing the complicated situations that happen with older people who might not be ready for full-time care, but need a lot of help, you know, somebody who stops driving, but doesn't want to move into a nursing home, like these kind of tricky situations. And what I see happening to a lot of my friends at this age is they are, you know, sister lives in Philadelphia, other sister lives in California, mom who's still in Kansas is getting old, like, OMG, what now? You know, there's the only two options are someone goes and does it, or you end up spending a tremendous amount of money to get care that you may or may not even feel that great about. Yeah, that's why villages were good, right? My spouse grew up literally with one grandmother living next door on the right and the other grandmother living next door on the left. And it was kind of good for everybody. I see its benefits. And I say that as somebody who lives 100 miles away from my kids now live 100 miles away from their grandparents. We see them a fair amount. But And I think we see our, the good thing about extended family is I'm going to give a shout out to like technology, right? So one of my kids is abroad right now. He's on a semester abroad in college. And his grandmother told me that she called him to say goodbye before he got on the plane. Because of course, like, and I I share a little bit of this, you know, idea too, like, well, they're in Europe. So you can't like 
talk to them unless you like got on the QE2 and went over there. Like they're just, they're lost to you. Like he's off the grid. Well, no, he's not. Like I FaceTimed with them yesterday. He's sharing photographs and he's also sharing these photographs with all four of his grandparents. And so there's a way where even though he's farther away, he has more reason to be in contact with them right now because he has something new to show them every week and he's a good kid. So he does it. And so even though he's a world away, like he's like back in Cultabalota, but they're in more touch with them than they usually are. So like what it means to extend your family, I think there is room for this. Of course, somebody falls and breaks their hip, you do have to actually show up, you have to like be there. But there is other ways in which we can be there for one another and that we can cement these relationships that really are, you know, Marco Polo, right? Or um, isn't that what that app is called? We leave each other video messages. Yes. I don't know if people are still doing Marco Polo, but yes, you can video each other. And I think, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think this is really important. This is the kind of thing that is a family culture issue that I don't think we always think about and talk about is that the value of family, whether or not you live close to each other, there's a great Frank Bruni op-ed and it's called Tolstoy and Miss Daisy. And it's about his 18-year-old niece driving his 79-year-old father on a trip and getting from Georgia to New York. Like the dad lives in Georgia and like the niece takes over like driving the dad. And it's just a lovely, cute story. But it's like, whose job is this? And I think as we constantly have conversations on the podcast about like you can say whatever you want to your kids and you can read whatever books and like impart that wisdom to your kids but your kids look to you to say like do we take care of the elders in our family do we take care of the people who fall down in our family like do we you know rise to the occasion of and I think that it's something that I don't hear people talk that much about I haven't thought that much about but you know in we were. I was talking to um, somebody in my family who lost a relative very young and very tragically, and that person was telling me that some of the parents from her kids' schools didn't want the kids to come to the funeral because it would be too upsetting for them. And it's like, I understand it. The kids were young, and it's like the idea that like suddenly somebody could die was very upsetting to them. But it's like, this is how we operate as a family. I think when we talk about the list of like who we want to be and how we want to be, that it's another important like star in that constellation. Like we're people who go bring the cousin a casserole. We're people who, and this can be the friends and the extended family of our lives, but how we show up for our extended people, whether they are our blood relatives or the people who we hold as family in our lives, your kids are watching that. And like, you're gonna be the old person someday. <laughs> be nice to your kids is what we're saying. Yeah. And I also think a family culture is something that you can break. Like a family culture that gossips a lot, meanly about all the other people in the family, that is something that you can be like, actually, our family does not participate in that. You know, like you can change the orientation of how certain things about your extended family don't work so well. And you can also lean in to say, like, it is a little bit, you have to captain your kids towards the wonderful experience of extended family. And then you also need to model like how to take the good and leave the bad with extended mm -hmm. family. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both. 
And there you have. And there you have. Extended family. Extended family. <laughs> Amy, who could have solved it better than you rewriting the lyrics of the Facts of Life Thank you. theme song? Oldie Lux Alert. Oldie Lux Alert. Huge if true. I landed it like Mary Catherine Gallagher. Yeah. <laughs> Land it. Nailed it. Friends, if you want even more What Fresh Hell, you can get it with What Fresh Hell Plus. What Fresh Hell Plus is our subscription. It offers a monthly bonus episode and completely ad-free listening to all episodes of the What Fresh Hell podcast. Amy's going to tell you how to sign up. Well, it's very easy. You're just going to tap the link that's in the show notes for this episode, or you can always go to our Instagram bio. It's always in our Instagram bio. The last way to find What Fresh Hell Plus is on our website, whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.